0: If you have your Bibles, you can uh, take them and turn to James. Um, We're going to be kind of all over the place. Uh, It's more of a topical message this morning more than anything else, but um, we're continuing along in this look at the things that we say to ourselves, the conversations that we have. As you're turning there, just a a note. Some of you may be aware already that um, uh, Harold Eder passed away last Sunday afternoon and uh, be in prayer for his wife Miriam and their boys Mark and Paul as they um, just grieve this loss and make plans for uh, the service and then the weeks and the months to come. James chapter 14 and 15, in particular chapter 14, helps us with where we're going this morning as we uh, consider our thought life and the world of our inner conversations with those thoughts. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire, then desire, when it is conceived, gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. Describes that process of that those inner conversations that we have with ourselves in those very initial stages when temptation comes our way. How we process that, it can either lead to life and victory in that temptation, or it can lead to conception and sin and eventually death if we pursue it. If you're just joining us um, or you haven't been around for uh, the last few weeks, we're just considering this notion of the conversations that we have with ourselves. We have them in so many different ways. Um, even the title of the series is, Have a Word with Yourself. What were you thinking? You know, just it highlights the reality that we have so many conversations inside of ourselves. I was liking it to an iceberg, um, and I looked it up just to make sure that it was kind of true, and it seems to be true that an iceberg, you have about 10% of the mass of an iceberg that is above the water, and about 90% that's below the surface. And I don't know about you, but that seems to represent my world, um, My wife would say that about 10% of my conversation is external and about 90% is just unheard. Um, We just don't talk a lot outside. We talk way more inside of us. And as with icebergs, the external part is a part that we can see. We can be aware of its dangers. We can avoid it. There's things that challenge us. There's navigational systems that get us around it. But what do we do about that under? the water part of the iceberg, which in fact took down the Titanic and other things. And there's so much danger that lurks below the surface. So that's true of the conversations that we have that are with the thoughts that um, come up in our hearts and our minds. And so as we think about this particular reality again, we're dealing with the heart and the thoughts that originate from our hearts and the conversations that we have with those thoughts. We have conversations that come from thoughts that arise with circumstances that we face or people that we're dealing with or temptations that we're surrounded by and problems that we're experienced with. And again, as one of the foundational um, things that I'm trying to communicate to myself and to you is that uh, I think as Martin Lloyd-Jones says, not I think he did say that, have you realized that most of the unhappiness in life, in your life, comes because you listen to yourself rather than talk to yourself. It's really important that we don't just sort of throw our hands up in the air and listen to all the thoughts that we have, but we engage them. We embrace them. We talk back to them. We talk with them. And so we're wrestling with this whole notion of the sanctification of our inner world, of bringing the inside of us and those conversations that we have with only ourselves, that we bring them in line with Scripture and with what is pleasing to God. It's learning how this new heart that God has given us through Christ begins to more and more take over the old heart that's in us, which is atrophying and dying. As we think about our hearts, though, in those conversations that we have, I think the challenge that we face is that it's not exposed. The things that we say externally, it's exposed to people around us, and they can challenge us, they can question us, they can, they can comment on what we say, but those internal conversations are guarded they're private in the world of espionage it would be there'd be a big red stamp on those internal conversations top secret for your eyes only we know that in our external world we have all kinds of friends or we can cultivate friendships and it's really critical who we cultivate friendships with because those friendships will in a large part determine the course of our lives they will determine the things that we talk about. They will determine the way we talk about them. They will determine our attitude to parents and to faith. They will determine the attitude to ourselves. And so choosing your friendship go, friendships goes a long way to determining the direction of your life. But who do you choose as an internal friend? What are the friendships that you can cultivate in your heart or in your soul that will act as the guide or the buffer or the objective side or the reasoning that you have with yourself? In other words, what is it that guards your internal conversations? There are a lot of things that vie for that role in friendship inside your soul. There's a lot of uh, things that want to guide and control those conversations. Well, I want to suggest to you five friendships that you can cultivate. What I call them are soul friendships. These are friendships that you can cultivate that will guide and guard you, that have your best interests in mind, that as you have those conversations with yourself, they know them, they hear them, they're concerned about them, they pat you on the back when they're good, they encourage you when they're, when they're sort of um, uh, headed in the right direction, and they challenge you when the conversations that you have inside yourselves are not good or not right or not pure. And so, just as we sort of set the table for this, these are the five friendships that I I think as we dive into this world of our thoughts, we need to think about. The first soul friend, I would call it, this first internal friend is simply God. Not simply God, it's the reality that there is a God and that God exists. For years now, we have been using that phrase, God is real. And the reality of God should remind us that our Conversations with ourselves might be private to us, but they're not private to God. God made us. God created us. God knows everything that goes on inside of us and outside of us. There's nothing that is hidden from God. David is talking to his son Solomon, and he says that he is to serve God with his whole heart and a willing mind. Why? Because the Lord searches the hearts and understands every plan and thought. In another place, the psalmist says that the Lord knows the secrets of the heart. In another place, it says the Lord is in his holy temple. The Lord rules from heaven. He watches everyone closely, examining every person on the earth. Whether you are a Christian or not, whether you are a follower of Jesus or not, the reality and the truth of the matter is God knows the conversations you have inside your soul. He knows the plans. He knows the thoughts. He is aware of them. You need to cultivate then a relationship with God and trust God and listen to God. He has your best interest in mind. He made you. He knows how you tick. He knows what is best for you. He knows when to warn you. He knows how to encourage you. So cultivate a relationship with God. Cultivate the reality that God is real. Let the knowledge of the reality of God temper your internal conversations. The second soul friend is the word of God it's the word of God it's the word of God is called the living word it's the truth it's eternal life as the disciples were walking with Jesus and he had been teaching and there were some things that he said were difficult many of the disciples were or those that were following him started to fall off and fall away and finally Jesus turned to his disciples and he said are you two going to leave me and they said to him well where would we go you have the words of eternal life. He recognized, or they, uh, they recognized that there was a vitality and a life-giving reality to the words of God. There's a famous line that, not line, verse that many have memorized. I have treasured your heart within me. Why? So that I might not sin against you. The word of God is a safe guide. The word of God is a protector in our hearts and minds. The word of God is something that we can filter or bounce our self-talk off against. The writer of Hebrews says, the word of the Lord is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing the division of soul and spirit, of joints and marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of your heart. You say nobody knows? Nobody hears. The Word of God knows and the Word of God hears. If you're battling with those conversations that you have, read the Bible. Expose yourself to the Bible. Expose your inner world, your heart, to the Word of God. Let it discern the thoughts and intentions of your heart. Psalm 119, verse 7, and I won't read it all to the end, but it just simply describes the, the nature of the Word of God. The law of the Lord is perfect. Reviving the soul, the testimony of the Lord is sure. Making wise the simple, the precepts of the Lord are right. Rejoicing the heart. And then there's Proverbs 6, a section of scripture that has become close to me in the last six or seven months. It's funny how you read a scripture again and again and all of a sudden one day it just fastens into your heart. Psalm, uh, Proverbs chapter 6 recounts the father and the mother telling their sons that they need to grasp the word of God. They need to bind it around the heart. They need to wear it around their neck like a necklace. And they're talking about the word of God. And this is why they need to do that. Because when you go here and there, they will lead you. When you lie down, they will watch over you or protect you. And when you awake, They will talk to you. The word of God talks to us. It leads us. It protects us. Cultivate a friendship with the word of God. Read it regularly. Be disciplined in your reading of the word of God. Let the word of God be the sounding board, the guide of your inner conversations to correct it, to direct it, to perfect it, so to speak. The third soul, friend, is one that we talked about last week and I'll just quickly just mention it to remind us, but it's the Spirit of God. We mentioned how it's the Spirit of God that gives us life and then it's the Spirit of God that comes to dwell in us, lives in us. And the Spirit of God and the Word of God, we might call them twins. Not, not identical twins, but they are, the Word of God and the Spirit of God guide and direct our lives. The Galatians chapter 5 talks about the role of the Spirit. It says, walk in the Spirit and you will not fulfill the desires of the flesh. Be led by the Spirit. The Spirit convicts us. The the Spirit can be grieved, but He won't leave us. And so cultivate a relationship with the Spirit. Walk with the Spirit. Say, Spirit of God, I I don't understand this word. Or, Spirit of God, would you bring to my attention a word that will help me? You know where my thoughts are going, and I know they're not right, but I don't know what to think on. Help me. The fourth soul, friend, is the person of Christ. Christ. We mentioned this again last week. If you are a child of God, you are united to Christ. You have been united with Christ. You abide in Christ. Christ is being formed in you. As Paul says, it's no longer I who lives, but it's Christ who lives in me. Call out to Christ and say, Christ, you've got to help me. You know where my thoughts are going. You know the conversations that I'm having. You know the things that I'm telling myself. You know the things I'm saying to myself. You know what I'm trying to justify. Christ, help me. I know you were perfect in thought, word, intent, and motive and deed. Help me, Christ. And the final, friend, is your conscience. Conscience. We're going to talk about the conscience in a couple weeks. I can't remember if I've ever heard a sermon on the conscience, um, but I've been thinking about self-talk quite a bit. And I think the conscience is one of the amazing gifts that God has given us. A conscience is independent of us. Yes, we can, we can train it. Yes, we can teach it. Yes, we can, we can, we can um, uh, um, inform it. But our conscience is independent of us. And the Bible says it can excuse us or it condemn us. A conscience is a gift of God. And you say, well, how does God know? How will he know on the day of judgment what what has gone on in my heart? Well, because of your conscience. Your conscience will act as a witness before God. And so God has given us a conscience that knows our insides that we can battle with and wrestle with. And so we have to cultivate a relationship with our conscience. One old writer said that conscience is either the greatest friend or the greatest enemy in the world. It's really true, right? You can't get rid of your conscience, can you? You can stifle it, you can sear it, but you can't get rid of it entirely. But a conscience can also be one of the most wonderful walking partners you can ever have in life. So, soul friends, cultivate a relationship with these friends who your inwards are exposed to. Secondly is just, why do we need these soul friends? Well, we need them because of our thought world. And I just want to take a a few minutes and talk about thought sins, Talk about what they are and the conversations that we have with our thoughts and why we need to be concerned about them. And again, this whole uh, number of weeks, we've been, we've been just pressing home the point that it's not just enough to, to have our external, um, our outsides sanctified and in line with what God wants, but we need to get our insides in line with what God wants as well. God is concerned with our thinking as much as he is with our acting. I'm not sure if we understand the power of our thoughts and the conversations that we have with them, how they direct our relationships, how they direct our actions, how they determine our words. Thought sins are not trivial. In other words, thought sins are not of little concern. Sooner or later, they will open the door to actual words and sins. That's why I read James, but each one is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desires. Thought sins, in part, are desires. But the are desires that we let run amok or that we don't control. And so each person is tempted when he's lured and enticed by his own desires. Then desire, when it is conceived, gives birth to sin. As one person wrote, all sin is first incubated in the mind. That's a great image to just have ourselves, a great reminder of why we need to give so much attention to our inner world and the conversations that we have and the thoughts that we dwell on. Again, this is a, this is a guy that wrote back in the 1500s, but it's as relevant today as back then. He says, evil deeds are the offspring and children of evil thoughts. The branches and the fruit which grow out of this root. Thoughts are the firstborn of the soul, words and actions only younger brothers. Life sins receive their juice and nourishment from thought sins. So you see what he's saying. It's so important that we, that we understand the impact and the power of our thoughts and the conversations that we have with them, because those then will leak out eventually in our words. And our actions. So, what are the four main battle areas, at least that I'm aware of? There there could be many more, but a lot of our, our internal conversations are connected with these four categories. The first is our thinking and our wrestling and our conversations in ourselves with ourselves about God. We spent a whole week, a number of weeks back talking about the danger of saying in your heart there is no God. But once we've concluded there is a God, there is this world of of conversations that we can have with ourselves that are stimulated by all kinds of circumstances and all kinds of thought that really are in relationship to God. What about the words of God? What about the promises of God? What about the commands of God? What about the love of God? What about, has God forgiven me? What are you telling yourself when you're full of anxiety? What are the conversations that you have with yourself as as your anxious thoughts build up in your heart and you think about God? Do you go to those scriptures like Matthew chapter 6, be anxious about nothing Don't worry about what you wear or where you live or what you'll eat. Your heavenly father knows that you need all of those things. Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all those things will be given to you. Or as Paul says, be anxious for nothing. But in everything with prayer and supplication, let your requests be made known to God and the God of peace will guard your heart and mind. Is that where you go when you're anxious? Is that where you go when you're worried or or do you not even think about God and his power and his might and his promises and his fatherly care over you? What about fear? As David Evans, a longtime member of our church, used to say often and often, don't be afraid. It's one of the most uh, frequent commands in all of scripture, don't be afraid. Why? Well, look at who your father is. Look at his power. Look at his might. He spoke this world into existence. He maintains this world by his power, by the power of his word. He directs every thought and action. He directs this world. His power is immense. There is nothing that is impossible with God. Why do we get afraid? Because we're not thinking correctly about God. What about forgiveness? Accepting God's forgiveness yourself. Well, I've just sinned too often. I've just sinned in too many ways. I've just sinned too grievously. God can't forget that. God can't forgive that. I can't forgive myself. If I can't forgive myself, surely God can't forgive me. But God takes our sin and he covers it over. He removes it as far as the east is from the west. He throws it behind his back. He doesn't hold it against us because it's been cleansed. It's been forgiven because of the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. And so what do you tell yourself when you're ripped off at somebody else who's hurt you and you maintain unforgiveness? How do you justify that when God has forgiven you? See, these are the conversations that we have in ourselves and how when we have a right view of God and a right understanding of God's word, how those things begin to change and how our conversations begin to be adjusted by the truth and the reality of God. What about unbelief and doubt? Take care lest there be in any of you an unbelieving heart leading you away from the living God. God, I've been praying about this for so long and you don't care. I really don't think you're around any longer. God, this is the direction I wanted my life to go. You've, you've not helped me. You've not guided me. You've not directed me. I'm going to go my own way. I don't trust you anymore. There's a world of conversations that we have with ourselves that are either helped by casting ourselves on the truth of God and the revelation of God or run amuck because we forget God. There's a verse in scripture I think is helpful. It says, we destroy, we destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive to obey Christ. The context of that verse is simply external reasonings and philosophies that, that are raised up against the knowledge of God. And there is a world out there that just challenges us and, and rebukes us and mocks us for our view or our belief or our, 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 our trust in God. And Paul says the way that you deal with those is take them captive In obedience to Christ, let them be shaped by the what you know to be true about Christ. Well, that principle applies in all different areas of our life. To take thoughts captive, they don't have to run amok. They don't have to have free reign in your heart. They don't have power over you that you can't control. Paul says, no, grab hold of them. Throw them in thought prison, so to speak. Evaluate them, test them, judge them, hold them captive. Don't let them have rain in your life. And so when your conversation is wrong about God and you know it to be wrong about God and his truth, grab that conversation and put it in prison, so to speak. Remember the deeds of God. There's so many places in scripture where we are reminded to recall the deeds of God. Sometimes that's a lot of our conversation is because we're forgetful. And we don't remember all the ways that God has in the past guided us, directed us, provided for us, done what he's promised in our lives. And it is so good to just remind yourself and to recall the works of God and the ways of God, the way he's loved you, the way he's cared for you, the way he's provided for you, the way he's, he's, he's got you out of difficult situations, the way he's loved your family, cared for your family, the way he, he guided your mom and dad, all those sorts of things. But we forget those things. Why do we gather together for the Lord's table? Because we would be prone to forget the Lord's death if we didn't remind ourselves of it. And so part of the way to, to deal with our conversations that turn us against God is to say, no, that's not the God that helped me in this situation. No, that's not the God that directed my family here. No, that's not the God who preserved my son when he was going in this direction and God turned him around. So that's one big area of our thoughts and our conversations that we can be tempted to sin in our thoughts. What about remembering past sins? How do you talk to yourself about your past? Do you relive sins of your past? How do you talk about talk to yourself about the relationship that you were in when you were in your 20s or in your late teens or maybe later? What about that time that you got away with lying and it's so impressed on your head that you're pretty happy with it and you kind of go back and say, boy, I I really pulled the wool over the person's eye back then. What about that time you destroyed a person's reputation because you were angry with them and sometimes when you need a pick-me-up, you go back and you reflect on that and you kind of revel in that. What about the time you had a fight I can remember fights in grade six and seven. And you know, in the schoolyard fights, people gather around and fight, 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 fight. And there's joy and whatnot as you're fighting. And I can go back and relive those days and think that was a kind of a neat thing. It's wrong. To relive sins all over again in your mind is to sin again. Ezekiel 23, 19 describes Israel. It says she became more and more promiscuous as she recalled the days of her youth when she was a prostitute in Egypt. Remembering past pleasures and sins can act to increase sin in a certain area of her life. So what are the conversations that you have as thoughts of past interactions come to your head? Do you take them to the word of God? Do you take them to the truth of God? Do you take them to the blood of Christ? There are some younger people here. And if I had any word to you, I would say pursue Christ while you're young. Pursue holiness while you're young. While you've got a naivety, while you've got a, 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 a purity, while you've got an innocence, grasp hold of God and say, God, I will walk with you. I will fight for you. I will die for you now. Don't take a path of sin that you'll say, well, you know, when I'm 30 or when I'm 40, I'll come back for Christ. Don't compromise Christianity and, and, and a relationship with Christ now and pursue sins because you will have a battle later on in life as Christ calls you back with those things that you embraced and engaged in as a younger person. I can't emphasize this enough. You can reduce your battle with remembering sins greatly by walking with God as a young person and committing to God at an early age. I get it. I, you know, I know that God forgives our sins. He, I've mentioned it, he throws them behind his, his back, he covers them over. I know that God does that, but we are often reluctant to mortify those memories. We need God's help in those conversations that we have with ourselves to not keep bringing up past sins and enjoying them all over again. We have a dog, a lab, a COVID dog, a dumb decision. Um, (laughs) But in the loneliness of our COVID days, we looked at each other and we said, let's get a dog. And so we got a dog and we named the dog Whiskey. Whiskey. Now, I know that's probably not the most appropriate name for a dog when I say, well, I'm going to go home and enjoy whiskey after work, um, but whiskey's a lab, and we take whiskey out for walks, and uh, I think it's probably true of a lot of dogs, but it seems like it's more, more true of our dog. He loves dead stuff and stinky stuff, and so we'll go for a walk, and whiskey will we'll find him off somewhere, and he's chomping something and it's just, oh, gross. Or, or he's rolling in it and you think, what is this dog doing? You get him back and he stinks or he's got something in his mouth and you get it out and you go on. Well, you know, you can go back there four or five weeks later, do the same walk and where does whiskey go? Right to the same spot. His memory for that dead stuff and the pleasure he got from that dead stuff is unbelievable. That's sometimes how I picture my memory for past sins. There's something about them that draws me back. And we just need God's help to say, no, I won't go there. I won't relive that again. Finally, my brothers, what is, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. That's mind control. That's word of God control. That's Walking with our soul friends and having them say, no, don't talk like that, Paul, talk like this. What about scheming for the future? I think we can sin in our minds in a huge way by scheming for the future. We have conversations with ourselves about what we're gonna do down the road. Sometimes those are because somebody has hurt us. They might have hurt us grievously. Sometimes they're because we haven't had opportunity right now, but we're perceiving an opportunity down the road. Sometimes it's just because we cultivate envy or we cultivate anger. And so often these conversations about scheming happen when we're relaxed or when we're lying in bed at night falling asleep and we're viewing the sort of events of the day. And all of a sudden we just start getting ticked. Really? Wow, man, I'm not going to put up with that anymore. I'm going to get him back. Or I'm going to do this at work to to get back at my boss because they didn't give me a raise or they didn't give me the time off that I wanted. I'm going to do this to my spouse. It's during such times when we're hurt or upset or angry or envious that we can scheme in our hearts and minds about things that we are going to do in the future. We devise and plan and plot wickedness. And sometimes it's scary enough that we wouldn't want even those to be made public because legally we could get into trouble. Do they not go astray who devise evil? Said the writer in Proverbs. The Lord detests the plans of an evil man, but pleasant words are are pure. The Lord approves of those who are good, but he condemns those who plan wickedness. There are six things that the Lord hates, seven that are abomination to him. One of the seven is a heart that devises wicked plans. Loved, as I suspect all of us understands this to a certain degree, More than ever, when we are hurt or when circumstances are adverse, we need to have a word with ourselves. We need to take ourselves back to the word of God and say, God, I leave this in your hands. God, you will avenge me if I was harmed justly. Father, give me forgiveness towards this individual. God, give me love for my spouse. Tell yourself how Christ is being formed in you. Remind yourself that Christ is compassionate and tenderhearted and forgiving of others. And say, that's what I want to be. That's how I want to think. That's the conversations that I have. And rather than have uh, devising wicked plans, devise love. What is it? Don't forsake the gathering of the brethren together. Why? So that you can stimulate one another to love and good deeds. So have these internal conversations that stimulate love and joy and peace and gentleness. And then the fourth area, we've got dealing with God, we've got dealing with the past, we've got scheming about the future, we've simply got imagining in the present. We tell ourselves sometimes, I don't know about you, but I tell myself sometimes that It's just in my head. After all, no one's getting hurt. It's not sinful because I would never do what I'm thinking. This is how I escape, or it's only entertainment. If no one knows, nobody gets hurt. Isn't it better that I just think about it rather than act on it? It's just that kind of imagining that Jesus addresses, And he says, but I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. See, it is, imagination is a form of sinning if we go to sinful places. What is covetousness? What is envy? But it's ways of telling ourselves that God doesn't know what I need that God isn't able to provide what I need. God doesn't care about my situation. God hasn't given me all that I need for life and godliness, so I want what you have. I want what they have. I want their life. I want their boat. I want their bank account. Those are conversations of imagining that we have with ourselves. No, we are to love the Lord our God with all our heart, mind, soul, and muchness. God knows the intents of our heart and that's why we need those soul friends. For when our imaginations, when we feel they're unchecked, when we feel we're all alone, check our imaginations out and say, God, what do you think about the intent of my heart right now? Jesus, how did you, how did you deal with that in your life? Because I know that you were perfect even in thought, intent, and motive in your life. So how did you deal with it? I want your strength. It's you who live in me. Help me, guide me, strengthen me. It is possible to be a thinking sinner. And so we need to remind ourselves again that God desires purity of heart as well as purity of act or deed. I know this maybe seems a little bit heavy, but there's a wonderful side to all of this. That no matter what the battle is in your mind and no matter what the challenges that you face in your internal conversations are, there is more mercy in Christ than there is in our sins. Know that. Know that. We can go to dark places in our heads and in our internal conversations, but Christ's mercy sheds light even into the darkest recesses of our minds and our imaginations. Cast yourself upon Christ. Have your mind transformed by the word of God. Set your mind on things that are above, not on things that are below. Put off all those, those imaginations and those sinful thoughts and put on Christ Jesus. Oh, it's wonderful, is it not, to make progress in sanctification, not only externally, but internally. It's a joy when you come to the end of a day and you realize that Christ has helped you in your thought life and those conversations. It's wonderful to know that you can take thoughts captive and constrain them and throw away the key. Cultivate friendships with those that will shape your inner life into conformity with Christ. Father, we thank you for your word today. And I I thank you, Father, that you're concerned about every part of our lives. And I think if we're truthful and honest with ourselves, we do realize that a lot of our unhappiness is because we just listen to those things that we say and we go down roads, roads of anger or bitterness or revenge. But Father, I think we also know that it is a joy to have a heart full of forgiveness, to have a heart that's not constrained by bitterness, to have a heart that has been cultivated on contentment and we're happy for other people in their successes. It's wonderful to have the joy of the Lord who trusts fully in the Father no matter what the circumstances are and doesn't argue with him or doesn't doesn't doubt him or doesn't disbelieve him, but just trusts him fully. Oh, Father, would you help us to know these joys? Would you help us to know this kind of purity? We pray these things in the wonderful name of Jesus. Amen. Amen.